All right, well, let's go ahead and, and get started this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 11, that's in the Gospels. We're going to be talking about mountains today. How appropriate as we sit in the shadow of Mount Diablo, world famous Mount Diablo. I don't know if it's world famous, but it is a mountain and it's in our backyard. And, and we'll refer to it a little bit later. As we get ready to speak on this, I want to share a little bit. We're going to use George Muller's life as an illustration here this morning as we work through the message. And it's an incredible life. It's an incredible story. Uh, towards the end of his life, there's an interesting um, inspirational, anecdotal, historical thing that not many people know about. And so what I've done is because I'm not very good at remembering stories very well, my wife will always help me with those things, which is very good. I'm going to read it to you as it was recorded by a reporter who gives us this story. Now the fascinating thing is that you saw a little bit about George's life and all that God did through him. When he started out, he wanted to be a missionary. And he went to England from Germany. He went to the English Missionary Society. And he believed God called him to be a missionary. And i got to tell you, back in those days, if, if you were called to be a missionary, um, pickings were slim, man. You, you, ever heard the, you ever heard the statement, Africa, the dark continent? The reason we got that statement is because of this time period, more than half of the missionaries that went into Africa were killed. They never came out of Africa. And so you would think if people are signing up to join on board, they'd be accepted. But George wasn't accepted. And that's a hard thing. When you're praying and you're trying to do God's work and, and people really need that kind of help, you would think they'd be accepted. But it didn't happen. Not till he was 70 years old. Not till after the majority of all this greatness you're going to hear had already transpired. When he was 70, this guy starts traveling all over the world and, and preaching all over the place. And this is a story about one of those trips. And this is told in the eyes of the, uh, the reporter. And he said, this is, well, listen. When I first came to America 31 years ago, I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of a steamer who was one of the most devoted men I ever knew. And when we were off the banks of Newfoundland, he said to me, Mr. Inglis, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened, which has completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. Up to that time, I was one of your ordinary Christians. We call that common, right? Our theme this year is common becoming uncommon. He said, up until that moment, I was one of those ordinary Christians. We had a man of God on board, George Muller of Bristol. I'd been on that bridge for 22 hours and never left it. I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder. It was George Muller. Captain, he said, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This was Wednesday. It is impossible, I said. Very well, if your ship can't take me, God will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. Now that's faith, man. I just got to tell you. The guy's in the middle of the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. And the captain says, we ain't going anywhere, and you're not going to make it. And he says, fine, I'll find some other means of locomotion. Like a train's going by in the middle of the ocean? What, you know, how's this work? 
Exactly how does this work? And so let, let's, let's keep with the story. So the captain says, uh, I would willingly help you. How can I? I'm helpless. Let us go down to the chart room and pray. This is great. I looked at that man of God and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could that man have come from? I never heard of such a thing. George Mueller may have been the, the genius of the word loco, right, in, in, in our world. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense the fog is? No, he replied. My, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. He got down on his knees and prayed one of the most simple prayers. I muttered to myself, that would suit a, child, a children's class where the children were not more than eight or nine years old. The burden of his prayer was something like this. Oh Lord, if it is consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made for me in Quebec Saturday. I believe it is your will. When we finished, I was going to pray, but he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe he will. And second, I believe he has. And there is no need, whatever, for you to pray about it. I looked at him, and George Mueller said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 47 years, and there has never been a single day that I have failed to gain an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, and open the door, and you will find the fog is gone. I got up, and the fog was gone. You tell that to some people of a scientific turn of mind, and they will say, that is not according to natural laws. No, it's according to spiritual laws. The God with whom we have to do is omnipotent. Hold on to God's omnipotence. Ask believingly. On Saturday afternoon, I may add, George Mueller was there on time. You know what's fascinating is those stories are great to hear. Those stories are inspirational. But those are stories for other people, aren't they? You know, it's interesting, we talked about lifetime and how God raised this idea up for us. And we wanted to start in the summer of 2010, and we thought we had everything figured out. We were going to offer the best summer camp, day camp program for $150, $160 a week per kid. That would have been the cheapest camp for the quality, and God wouldn't let it start. And we were so frustrated. And we had been praying about it. We knew, we, we really believed this is what God had for us. And it didn't happen. And so I went back to prayer, went back to fasting. And I believed what God said at that point was, well, it's just not good enough. You're not trusting me enough. He says, you want to use this to let people see my power, let people see the power of Christ? Then really do something with it, Jer. And I'm thinking, okay, fine. I thought it was pretty good. You know, what do you... Don't charge for it. And I'm having this conversation with God that I think I had to repent from later on. You know, what are you, insane? Nobody's going to buy that. Nobody's going to believe that. Nobody's going to... They're going to laugh me out of the room if I bring that. As a matter of fact, one person did. And when we started presenting this, it was an amazing process to see... Number one, God worked in my heart to change us to ask us to do something that was way beyond. It was mountain-moving kind of stuff. 
But then start doing that within the hearts of the elders. Start doing it within the hearts of the people here. But I had an individual walk up to me and say, you're doing this all wrong. Number one, we should be charging X amount of dollars because people will take advantage of you if you don't charge for it. I got it. Here's the fascinating thing about the cross. Not the one that's behind me, but the one that Jesus hung on. They took advantage of him over and over and over. And in the midst of him offering the greatest sacrifice, his words, in the midst of pain and suffering, for me, were, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Those were his words. Did they take advantage of him? Yeah. That's what it means to be given grace. So, yeah, that one doesn't fly with me. What else you got? Their next comment was simply this. We need to charge because churches make money doing these and we can fund our children's ministry and have so much more. My thought was, you know what? You're right. Churches do do that. And that's a pretty good idea. But that's not what God called us to do. And so I told her this little story about George Mueller. And here was the response. That's a nice story. But that's for George Mueller. God doesn't do that anymore. And I thought, I want you to come here a year from now. I want you to come here two years from now, three years, four years from now. And I want you to face the families that couldn't afford any other program. I want you to meet the families whose lives were changed. Here's the fascinating thing about Mueller. Well, let's get into it for a second here. Let's get into the the message. We're talking about common becoming uncommon. That's our theme for the year. This is the last sermon in the series. We talked about purpose. You've got to know your purpose. You've got to be selfless if you want to move from common to uncommon. You need faith if you're going to move from common to uncommon. Faith requires risk. And then the last one, which is today, is this idea of moving mountains. You're like, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't have a D9. I don't know why. Why are we moving mountains? What's that got to do with anything? Well, we'll explain that. But we're using this illustration of George Mueller to help us understand this scripture right here. But let's read the scripture. That is the most important thing. We're in Mark 11, and it's up on the screens. You can follow with me as I read it. Jesus is with the disciples. It's the Passion Week. He's, uh, he's getting ready to move into uh, the, the, the suffering and the cross and the Garden of Gethsemane and the resurrection, right? And so he's moving back and forth from the temple over to the Mount of Olives where they were staying. He's preaching in the temple and he's, he's not preaching to welcome ears whatsoever. And uh, so he comes along and there's a fig tree and it's supposed to be bearing fruit and it's not. And Jesus curses the fig tree. They go back the next day and this is where we pick it up. It says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Let's break all that out. But first, let's look at, at some of the things about George Mueller. Number one, 
we know that he was born in Germany. And we're highlighting George because he's moving from the common to the uncommon. We're trying to use these testimonies of how does God do this in real time? He was born in Germany. That, by the way, um, that's a good thing, right, Lori? Born in Germany. That's right. Mom would have said so. He's in jail at age 16. Well, things are going splendid, right? Uh, he was sent to be trained in the ministry. Back in those times, I've got to tell you, it was, it was a joke. And, and unfortunately, in a lot of ways, folks, there, there are people that go to seminary to be trained to be pastors, and they don't know the Lord yet. And that was the case with, with, uh, with George. That at that time, it was all about position. And that someone who was in the ministry, they were of a high position, and it would afford them job security and a good life. That's why George went to seminary. It really didn't have much to do with God. But something unique happened. He came to faith in Christ through just a local Bible study. Now that's pretty uncommon, isn't it? You go to seminary to be trained to be a pastor, you're missing the main component. That's a relationship with Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. You go to some guy's house, and in his living room, they open up the Bible, and the Word of God affects you and opens your eyes, and suddenly you, you desire this relationship with Christ. Kind of uncommon how God works. You never know which way it's going to flow. He tried to become a missionary and he was blocked. He prayed and prayed and prayed that this would happen. God had different things for him. So he started the Scriptural Institute. By the way, the interesting thing about George Mueller is that he is known to have educated somewhere along the lines of probably... In the two, well, definitely hundreds of thousands of children. He started 117 different schools for kids at that time period. You guys have heard of Dickens, right? It was mentioned in the, in the, in the historical thing. Charles Dickens heard reports about Mueller's work. And at that point in time, just like anything that goes on, the rumor mills fly, right? And so there were actually reports of abuse on kids. And so Dickens... Somehow, in some way, we see a, a little window into his life was connected to children, right? He wrote Oliver Twist. So Dickens goes to see what's actually going on, and Mueller welcomes him, gives him the keys to all the orphanages. He has five at that time, and he goes on a tour. What ensues is Dickens sees an incredible work that's happening that goes beyond all explanation, and he starts writing about it. And he writes it in common periodicals that we kind of call newspapers today or, or the internet, whatever you want to say. And that raises incredible amounts of money. Probably had something to do with the writing of Oliver Twist. little unknown fact, probably. Ah, that's just my speculation. Let's go on. Established 117 schools for child education, over 120,000 orphans and children. Orphanages totaling over 10,000 children were built solely through prayer and faith. He never asked directly for money. You know, sometimes we get this a little bit wrong. We, we, we state that George Mueller never asked ever for money. That's not necessarily the case. He let it be known through the town, through other uh, avenues, what was happening there, but he never asked for money. He simply said, we do this on a faith basis. That's how we do things here with Lifetime. Incredible things would happen where they didn't have anything for the kids for breakfast. And the kids, he told the kids, sit at the table. Well, what do you mean sit at the table? There's no breakfast. What, what are we doing at the table? Sit at the table. We're going to pray. 
Let me give you a morning devotional. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. And the milkman's truck broke down outside the orphanage. And uh, milk was provided for all the orphans that day. And then a baker showed up later and said, I just happened to bake, I just happened to bake more than I could possibly sell today and I felt instructed to bring this to you. This is how Muller lived. This is how those kids live in the grace of God day by day by day. That's how you see the common move into the uncommon. That's how you see mountains moved. Incredible stories. He received through prayer and faith a total of over what we would call $180 million in today's economy. Those are mountains, folks. And so when Jesus says, have faith, and if you have faith, you'll be able to move this mountain into the Mediterranean. What is he talking about? And why does that matter to us today, talking about five crucial characteristics of people? Pastor, why would you list this as one of those characteristics? Let's get into it. Again, just, you know, look at that guy. He's just a happy-looking guy. Right? He's like Grandpa Mueller. And, uh, and these are just some of the places that, that were built and the orphans. Just incredible. So our first point this morning, mountains or molehills? I say yes to both, mountains or molehills. And so what are we talking about? Let's give a little definition to it. And if you're following along in the sermon notes, you can fill this stuff in. Number one, the disciples are amazed, right? Verse 20. They're walking along. They passed through that the previous morning. They saw Jesus curse the tree. Kind of weird, right? You know, walking along, there's a tree, and boom, you're cursed. Okay, he's losing it a little bit. What's going on? They might have been talking about it. They walk up. The thing is so shriveled, it's all the way down to its roots. It's dead in one night. And Peter is amazed. Jesus uses it to make a point. Have faith, Peter. I could just hear Peter saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, why are you telling me to have faith? I'm the guy that got out of the boat. I'm the guy that walked on water with you, and you're telling me to have faith. Yep. Peter, walking on water is like level 100 stuff. Right? Let me introduce you to moving mountains. They were standing on the Mount of Olives, it would be the equivalent of taking Mount Diablo, our world-famous Mount Diablo, and Jesus standing there with you and saying, hey, let's throw this into Baker Beach. If you have enough faith, you could do this. Do you think Jesus really wants to move a big, giant pile of dirt 60 miles? That he's really Because last time I checked, Mount of Olives is still there. It hasn't moved one iota. There's something deeper here, and so we have to explore that and look. Number one, the disciples are amazed at what God is doing. When you're talking about faith, when you're talking about the common becoming uncommon, you will be amazed. Number two, Jesus demonstrates the power of unwavering faith in God. He does this to a tree, and the disciples are amazed, and they say, how did that happen? And he says, it's through what? It's through faith. It's through faith. It's through faith. Next, he comments on that faith. Unwavering faith in God has limitless power. Mountains or molehills. Well, let me define mountain and molehill for you. You ready? Number one, mountain. When we're talking to this subject this morning, it's anything that presents an obstacle in your life from moving in the path God desires for you. All right, so this morning, for many of us, we may sense that, okay, I, I think God wants this to happen in my life. I think, I think maybe that, but I can't go there. I don't have what it takes to do that. 
I don't have the requirements. I don't have the, the training. I don't have the resources. Or it's just not happening. And your pastor stands up there and just keeps telling me, have faith, have faith. I think I'm going to the Lutheran church. They've got a service in about a half hour. That guy makes a lot more sense. Here's the challenge, my friends. I'm not sure that you can ask for something more impossible than meeting a family that you knew was out there somewhere, that you knew existed. And you would wait, and you would wait, and you would wait. You would say, God, how come you're not answering those prayers? I don't know why. But I know that they're here today. They're here today. And that is miraculous. That is a mountain that I couldn't move at all. And yet God did it for me. And here's the crazy thing you know, Lisa, I consider you my sister. And if you're adopted, you know what that means. See, Lisa was the one that brought us all together. Nina and Lori, they're my biological sisters. But if Lisa hadn't stepped up for the love of her sister to reach out and do all the hard work and to intercede, this moment would not be happening. And that is a picture that is the beautiful picture of what Christ does for us. Because we cannot have access to God if it wasn't for Jesus coming down and doing what you did, Lisa. Thank you, Brian. This was not needed during first service. So I want to say thank you, Lisa. And unbeknownst to you, you were the answer of a 10-year-old boy's prayers. 12-year-old boy's prayers, 20-year-old boy's prayers, on and on and on and on it goes. Why when I was age 46? I have no idea. But at this point, I could care less because the mountain has been moved. The mountain has been moved. And that's faith. So what's a mountain? It is that thing that blocks us. And I have to tell you that there were those times where Satan used that idea that, you know, you were rejected you were thrown away, you weren't wanted, that Satan kept throwing those things into my mind about my life, my family, my... And, and now I have those answers. I know that I wasn't thrown away. I know that that wasn't the case. That none of us were thrown away. But through the ugliness in this world, there is tragedy that was given to our mother that she had to cope with, she had to deal with. And praise God, that tragedy didn't take us down. 
didn't take a stand. So for me, that whole thing could have been an obstacle for me to pursuing God. But God came alongside me and said, you know what? I've got you. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. And I've not regretted one day. Not one moment. What about a molehill? Well, if that's a mountain, what is a molehill? Anything that presents an obstacle in your life from moving in the path God desires for you. What? Isn't that how you just define mountain? Yes, it is. It's the same thing. Have you ever met somebody who complains vehemently about their, their horrible problem? And, uh, and you're like, are you kidding me? Do you have any idea what real life is like? And this is, this is what you're carrying as a cross? Right? But it doesn't matter because it's that obstacle that keeps you moving. Name all the great reasons that we deny God. Because they're really smart. They're smart in our eyes. I got a long line of people that have a horrible bitterness towards God because of what life has handed them. The problem with that is, is that they don't fully understand how life works and how God works, and they got a bad explanation about that at some point in time. So molehills or mountains? Yes to both, right? Any obstacle that keeps us from experiencing that faith in God that He has for us and moving from the common to the uncommon. So what do we do? Well, the next thing is just brilliant. You ready? Here we go. Faith or prayer? Yes. It's both. Jesus starts by saying, Hey, you want to curse a fig tree? That's eh, a little overrated. Why don't we move just to mountains? You know? And let's start with this. You can do this with faith. Believe in it. And then He says what? He says... You have to pray. Let, actually, let's, let, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Turn, turn to the passage. Um, Jesus said to them, uh, actually, let me back it up. It would help if I was in chapter 11. Got a little discombobulated up here. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever says this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. That's it, right? Name it, claim it, baby. I want, we went to dinner at the Tonga room last night. It was awesome. Uh, I was seriously, we were, I think we were seconds away from hearing that band play Copacabana. <laughs> It was phenomenal. But we, we parked, it's at the Fairmont downtown, and we, we parked in, in uh, 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 valet parking, and we're looking at all these cars around us. And I'm like, I'm driving a Honda Element. I'm like, Are you, please park it next to that Mercedes or that Ferrari, could you please? And, uh, and I'm looking at it, and, and I'm looking at those cars, and I thought of this verse, and I just need to say, when I come back with my claim ticket, get it? When I come back with my claim ticket, I'm just going to claim that Mercedes, not the Honda Element. I'm just going to pray when I get back, you have supplanted the Element with the... With the <laughs> anyway. Now, we all laugh, but I'm telling you that is preached from pulpits all over the world and the United States, and it is a heresy. But it sounds right, doesn't it? Didn't Jesus just say that? So we've got to be really careful about this stuff and... and, and the beautiful part is, is he doesn't just leave it there. So we're going to talk about this idea of faith and prayer 
and how those things work together because you don't want to get going down the wrong road. You say you've got this faith and it all falls apart and then what are you left with? You've, got a, you've been left with a God that didn't show up. And then what do you do? See you later. You're not who you said you were. The problem is we haven't looked at the whole, the whole part. Have you ever done that test where they tell you, you know, here, just come in, start doing the test, and the very first thing is just fill out your name, right? And then flip the test over, you're done. You ever been, none of you have done that test? This is the oldest junior high teacher joke in the world. The very first question is to see if students pay attention. The very first thing is just put your name in the top right corner and flip the Flip the test over, you're done. And 89% of the class is there 10 minutes later filling out question 15 because they didn't pay attention to the whole message. And they're agonized, like Pythagoras' theorem and all this kind of stuff at junior high. It's like, what, how do you expect this to... And excruciating, and I don't ever want to be in this class again. If you just paid attention, you would have been done 10 minutes ago and all you had to do is write your name down. Sometimes that's how we look at Scripture. And then we arrive at an unjust approach to all this. So faith or prayer? Yes. Jesus speaks to the secret of how faith works. It's prayer. A promise is given by Jesus that your prayers will be answered conditionally. What? We have been in church for... Some of you have been in church your whole lives, right? Peter, you've been in this church your entire life. And you've probably heard nothing but that God is an unconditional God. Have you ever heard that statement before? That God's grace is unconditional and free. I don't know if he was like said that way, but... Yes, God's love is unconditional. But what you're about to see is life-changing. You want to experience faith. You want to move these obstacles, these mountains, so you experience the uncommon. Guess what? You've got to shape your faith around prayer. And guess what? There's a condition to that prayer. We'll get to in a second, wedding crashers. Do we have any wedding crashers in the room? So you see, this is the fun part where I get to read your faces. And I know who is a wedding crasher, whether you raise your hand or not. Right? So you may not want to admit it, but how, how many, let's make it easy on you. How many of you have ever crashed, or, or you know someone that you've been at a wedding, and someone's there crashing the wedding? Have you ever been in that situation? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, Brian, I think you were the crasher. <laughs> now, if you've ever run into a wedding crasher, you're kind of ticked off, right? You're kind of like, what are you doing here? And why is it inappropriate for them to be there drinking the father of the brides? We're going to really make sure with these two girls and Noel's wedding that, you know, there are no wedding crashers. <laughs> that... It's inappropriate, unless you have relationship with the bride and groom or the family, for you to come and just eat of our spoils and drink of our spoils and dance as if you should be dancing with us. Now, I'm not talking about elitism, but you get what I mean, right? There's an appropriateness and there's a non-appropriateness. And you think about that individual that just, they want all the cake, but they don't want the relationship. Now think about that person coming up to you and asking you for the keys to the car. That's why I say this is, con that, not I say. That's why Jesus says this is conditional. How did he say this? Listen carefully. 
He says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. That's the faith part, right? And it will be yours. But hang on a second. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. What Jesus is saying in effect is this. You want all the benefits, but you come to me as someone who has had their hand in the cookie jar, and you want to pretend that everything's cool. But you want me to give you the most and the best that you can possibly happen, or, or, or have. Listen, God is unconditional in His love. It says so in Scripture. He's unconditional with that. That's mercy. That's grace. But you want to experience what Jesus is talking about. You want to move from the common to the uncommon. Don't just enter into the throne room of Christ with an arrogance of I'm just going to live the way I want to live. And when I want something big from you, I'm just going to ask. And this verse, your words, Jesus, said all I have to do is ask and believe it's there and it should be there. Now I will tell you that Jesus still will respond to some of those prayers. But he has said here, make sure you're living it. Right? And he just uses one illustration. It's not just that the forgiveness thing has to be all lined up. That's just one illustration. He's saying make sure that you're living the life and that you're living that relationship with me. And then your prayers will be shaped by my will, not your will. That's the key. That's the key. C.S. Lewis says something very important here that's going to be revolutionary. Get ready to this issue of prayer. C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote Narnia, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, all that kind of stuff, great Christian apologetic guy. He says this about prayer and faith. He says, prayers are not always granted in the crude, factual sense of the word granted. This is not because prayer is a weaker kind of causality, but because it is a stronger kind. When it works at all, it works unlimited by space and time. That is why God retained a discretionary power of granting or refusing it, except on that condition, prayer would destroy us. I'm going to make that real simple, because right now, the flopsam and the jellum is floating around there and spinning pretty good in the cerebral cortex. I'm like, what C.S. did you just say? He's saying, have you ever prayed for something because you thought it was the thing to pray for? And then you realize later, had that been answered, it would have been disastrous. We have this view. God, when he said prayers are not limited by space or time, right? God has a view from a bird's eye view. Not only that, he has a fourth dimensional view of all things that he is working together for good. So when when Muller says, I want to be a missionary, it's my heart's desire. Y'all need missionaries like peanut butter needs jelly. Just go with that. <laughs> that, that the idea is, of course I'm going to be a missionary. No, George, no you're not. But I'm praying for it. No, you're not. But I have faith. I'm claiming it. No, you're not. Not until you're 70, buddy. I've got something else for you. I've got something else for you. 
That's my little adventure, right? Ten years old, praying, God, I got a family out there somewhere. It'd be really cool to meet them. Not yet. Twenty years old, God, I don't get this. Not yet. But May 3rd, 2013, I got to speak to these three wonderful ladies. And uh, his timing is perfect. His timing is perfect. So prayer and faith. Yes. You get that? You get that part? That's how we arrive at this idea. Prayer must be conducted with clean hands and a pure heart. Selfishness leads to reckless faith. That's, that's the whole point here. Is it that, that Scripture says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may have an audience with God? He who has, what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Now, so what that's saying is that you have to be perfect. So the rest of you who aren't perfect, forget about it. Just go home. Right? Because that sounds like what it's saying. That, no, it's not. It says get in the game. It says try. It says let me do the work in you. But please, please, don't just walk through the door expecting all the benefits and you have zero relationship with me or you're not interested in, in letting me do a work in you, in becoming righteous, and becoming godly. Don't be arrogant about it. All right. Hopefully we learned something there. Here we go. Goodwill or gospel. I was thinking about this. How do we take an example that really grabs a hold of all this, uh, and what's the purpose of moving a mountain? Well, the whole concept is this, is that what happens in our society, the challenge that happens in our society is that it's all about us. We filter everything based off of us, our needs, our desires, our contentedness, our convenience. But what God says is if you believe that he created all things and he is the creator over all things, what I want you to do is I want you to take that art project, I want you to take that quilt that you did, I want you to take that 65 Mustang you rebuilt and painted, I want you to take all those things that you have created, I want you to hand them over to somebody who could care less, and I want you to just let them do whatever they want with those things. Are you going to do that? But that's how we do this. Do you get that? You kind of got to back away from all the micro stuff. You got to look big picture to this. If God truly is the creator, then he's got it going. It's operating according to his will. So the challenge for you and I is to get on board with that will, and that brings goodwill into our lives. Sometimes that's hard to figure out. So let's look at this story. Let's look at this point out of John. Turn to John 11. And this is a great, great story. And we'll kind of finish up with this today. Alright, how am I doing so far? You guys tracking? Alright, is it hot? You guys need air? Okay. You might after this. I don't know. Okay. Goodwill or the gospel? Yes! Lazarus, come forth! Some of you remember the story about Lazarus, right? Lazarus and his family were good friends with Christ and Jesus is in the Jericho region with the disciples. He's getting close to the Passion Week, and they get some bad news. Actually, they were, they were further up in, in the Jordanian Valley than, than Jericho, but that doesn't matter. Um, and so the news comes to Jesus and the disciples that Lazarus has died. Problem. So Jesus says it in these words. He says, and we're not going to look at the whole scripture, we're just going to look at parts, but if you were to look at the story, 
Jesus says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. So the disciples, the brilliant menses that they were, well, why don't we just go wake him up? And, and so Jesus is like, you, you don't get it, okay? And so you'll see in a verse coming up, Jesus literally says, he's dead, okay? And so we need to go and we need to take care of this. We need to deal with this. So what happens? Well, what happens is this. Lazarus had some ailment that killed him. Jesus knew about it, but he waited. He waited till Lazarus died. Finally, Jesus goes. And as he goes, one sister, Martha, greets him on the road, and she's weeping, and she's crying, and she's angry at Jesus because she knows that Jesus could have healed her brother. And so Jesus has a little conversation with her about it that you'll find in that passage. As they get closer, here comes Mary. Mary's much more demonstrative, and she's angry. She literally lets Jesus have it. Why? Why did you not come? Why did you not heal my brother? And she's weeping. Have you ever heard a Middle Eastern weep? If you're part of this church, you have. Right, Magda? Yes. We don't know weeping compared to somebody from the Middle East. And here's this beautiful verse. It's not the shortest verse in the original language, but it's the shortest verse in Scripture that we have. And it says, Jesus, what? Jesus wept. Jesus did not weep because Lazarus died. Remember I told you, Jesus, God, they're the creators. They're in charge of all of it. It's it's all happening. There's a plan here. Jesus is weeping because the plan requires this to happen so that we might believe. Because faith does not come easily for us. We have to be impressed. We have to see God do something big, bigger than cursing a fig tree. So Lazarus' death is necessitated because our sinful lives, our souls are at stake. And Jesus wants to get our attention and give an importance of what's about to happen. Lazarus is dead. He's in the grave three days. What does that sound like? It's exactly what happened to Christ. And Christ will raise him the third day, demonstrating that he is who he says he is. And demonstrating that he's had victory over death for you and I. And what we have to do is just believe in that. So what does he do? He waits. He lets Lazarus be dead for three days, which was dead, dead, according to Jewish law. Okay? And then he shows up. That caused great and severe hurt for Mary and Martha. As a matter of fact, when they get there, the crowd says, oh, now Jesus shows up. Kind of my paraphrase. But it says, now Jesus, you show up. If you'd been here when Lazarus was sick, you could have healed him. Let's see what Jesus says about this. First of all, he weeps, but he also obeys because there's something much larger at stake, and that's eternal life. Jesus moved mountains with this miracle. He says this, for your sake, so that you may believe this has been done. Sometimes our mountains and our molehills, sometimes our mountains are molehills comparatively, and we'll talk about that in just a second. Here's what he says. Then Jesus told them plainly, talking to the disciples, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. What? This is the all-compassionate Jesus? Jesus has a plan. How many of your prayers in faith you have not seen happen and you thought this has got to be of God? 
Surely Jesus doesn't want his best friend Lazarus to die. But he says, what? I'm glad I was not there to heal him. Why? So that you may believe. So that you may believe. Jesus not only did this miracle with Lazarus, but he did it to himself. So that we would believe. So he goes to Lazarus. And he heals him. But now he's got this audience. And he uses it as a teaching lesson for what's about to happen. And what does he say? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. You think this matters? They see a guy that's been dead for three days come out of the grave. It's been because Jesus said Lazarus comes forth. And now he says these words. Think you're going to listen? Maybe. And then he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says, do you believe this? That's a rhetorical question? No, it's a real question. It's one for you and I to wrestle with today. Jesus came and was an advocate because I was lost in sin. I was born into sin. And we're not comfortable with saying that, right? Sin. Sin is an archaic word. Now we say we're in a dark place. Right? I don't get it. You have to be so careful with how, what words you use. Bottom line, I was born into sin. I commit one sin. I commit one lie. I'm separated from... That's it. I'm separated from God. He's perfect. But He loved me so much. What? He loved me so much that He gave His only Son to pay the penalty for the sin for me because I couldn't pay that penalty. And Jesus says, I, I, these are not my words. There's no discussion. There's no debate about it. Jesus said this about Himself. I am the resurrection. I am what? I am the life. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. Those are his words. And wow, pretty good. I go to buy a car and the guy says to me, oh yeah, we can meet your price. And I just laugh. You ever been there? And the next thing I want to do is I want to see that final number on a contract in front of my face. You do that and I'll sign on the dotted line. Guess what? That is exactly what happened in this moment. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And what's he do? He raises a guy from the dead after three days. That's got some gravitas. That's got some faith built into it. He obeyed, even though it was hard. So goodwill? Yeah. He wept because he didn't want his friends to weep. But there was a bigger thing at stake. There was something that was larger. There was a mountain, not a molehill going on here. And sometimes our molehills, have you met that person? I think we talked about this already, right? That my problems are so deep, my problems are so... You know, Martha and Mary didn't get the big picture. Now their ultimate desire was answered, right? But that's our challenge with this thing about faith and moving mountains. <coughs> Lastly, let me ask you this question. What mountain in your life needs moving? What is that obstacle between you and God? What is that challenge, that difficulty that blocks you from having that kind of faith? Let me encourage you that that faith is promised and if you pursue that faith in prayer, He'll meet you there. He will meet you there. Secondly, well first, what do you do? You draw close to God. Second, align your prayers with His focus and His plan. All right? Come in line with Him. Third, trust, act, and practice 
your Oscar speech. Trust, right? Mueller at the end of his life on this grave marker says, I have found God worthy of trust. Right? Secondly, he acted on that trust. And the more he saw God show up, the more he kept acting, the more he kept acting, and look at the great things that happened as a result. But what does the Oscars have to do with it? I know what you're saying. Pastor Jeremy, you are so relevant. It's unbelievable how you tie culture. The Oscars are tonight. And you just hit it right on the nail on the head. And you're you're brilliant that way. Well, thank you. Um, But what I want you to remember is the part about the Oscars that we all hate, right? And it's when they're giving their speeches and they thank everybody, including Uncle Elmer. I don't know. They they think, and then what happens? They play that music. Yeah, they're going to start playing the music on me right now, right? They play that music. Saying, you got to get off the stage. You got to be quiet. We got some, something else to go do. What I mean by the Oscars is when you see God do something uncommon, acknowledge it. It's inspiring. Acknowledge it. And you'll be deepened in your faith. And you'll be able to draw near to God. You'll be able to align your prayers because you trust. You'll be able to understand that trust because you're. Constantly realizing what was done that went so far beyond what we could do. Do those things and guess what? The fog will lift. The fog will lift. Let me close in prayer today. And I trust that that's encouraged you. I trust it was that which you could follow. I trust it's that which will build a seed inside that encourages and leads you into a deeper faith. Let me pray this morning. Thank you, God, for all that you have given to us and blessed us with. Thank you for these encouraging words that helps us move from the common into the uncommon and help us understand that when we pray prayers that are prayed in faith and we're asking for big things that you understand from a bird's eye view and from a sense of space and time and all of that where we don't. And so let us wait with eager anticipation and trust. And let us align those prayers in faith from a heart that is devoted to you. Thank you, Lord God. Let this take root to your glory. Amen.